Go ahead, grab a seat. For those who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel. Thanks so much for joining us today for singing in worship with us this morning. As we continue on in uh, worship today, I would like to invite you to consider worshiping God in different ways. And in one way, we're going to uh, look at God's word in a moment and study it and see what God has to say to us. On the other hand, uh, I'm going to give you an invitation to partner with us in a couple different things. One of the ways you can partner with us is worshiping God through your offering. When we worship, we want to worship with all that God has given us, all of our being, so our voice, sometimes our body and worship if we feel uh, welcome and warm enough to do so, but also through our finances. We recognize that finances are one of those places where we like to have control, and so we worship God sometimes by giving to what he is doing because it shows that we have trust in him, and we worship him sometimes by trusting him when we don't feel like things are all right in our finances. And so if you're new or visiting, no obligation to give, but if you would like to partner and join in what God's doing, you'd like to worship him by trusting him in that way, we'd love for you to do that. Another way you can worship is by reaching out to other people who don't yet know Jesus. And one of the great ways to do this is to join us in Alpha. And it starts tonight but it's not too late for you or someone you know to come and join us. Alpha is a video discussion series that we do alongside of a dessert. Uh, we'll be doing this for the next eight Sunday evenings in the front entrance. And so if maybe you have big questions about life and faith, maybe you know someone who does, this is a great opportunity for you to come and just join with other people there's no judgment. Questions are all allowed, and it's just a great time of getting together, enjoying some good dessert, enjoying some great people, and discussing big life questions. And so we'd love for you to join us in that. If you can make it, uh, or you have someone you know that you want to bring, I'd love for you to connect with me in the front entrance after church. We want to buy enough dessert for everyone, so we'd love to have you there. Another way that we worship God is through going deep into his word. And so I want to let you know about an upcoming sort of theological discussion night happening on November 2nd. Now, I know that phrase doesn't uh, give a lot of excitement for a lot of people. Theology and discussion for some seems a little bit dull. But this is a really exciting night where we're going to get into God's word to discuss some important things. As you may be aware, our elders recently put forward a proposal to the congregation to change our leadership structure here at the church. And as we've been talking with you, we have come to realize that there's a lot of people who have loads of questions. Well, how do we get here? What are some of the core things we believe about church leadership? One of the things is, is there's a, a potential change to involve women in some different areas of leadership. And so how, how do we get to that place? How does that all work out? And so rather than us coming and explaining it and sort of trying to sell you on it, what we thought we would do is bring an uh, expert in this area to come in and talk with our church. And so we're bringing a guy named Larry Perkins. He is by far the smartest pe person I know. I think he's got two bachelor's degrees, three master's degrees, and a PhD. And he is an expert in the area of Hebrew and Greek language and literature. And he has literally written the books on the pastoral letters where we get a lot of information 
about our leadership structure. He has written books on what it means to be an effective board and how to lead one. And so we have invited him to come in, and he's just going to take us through uh, sort of in a quick way all through Scripture to give us some principles to consider and some building blocks for you to wrestle through as you have questions related to this. And then he's going to take a good chunk of time at the end just to ask or to answer questions. And so this is a time for you to come with all the questions you have to learn from someone who is the best of the best in our denomination at our seminary to come and uh, hear what he has to say and then have your questions answered. And hopefully that helps you come to a sense of what you believe about how God has set up the church and where he wants us to go. And then at the end of that, what will happen is our elders will take some time to Again, explain some of the direction our church is considering going and take some questions there as well. And so we would love for you to take part in these things. And these are how we worship, by engaging with God through our mind, through our hearts, through our relationships in places like Alpha and through our finances. So let's take time and just uh, offer to God all of these things. And as I pray, I'd encourage you wherever you're at to also come and pray. Ask God what maybe is a place that you need to bring in alignment with him and how you can worship. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we got a lot going on. And Lord, we, we got a lot of lives that are lived as part of our church family. And we know that, uh, God, worshiping you is, is our desire, but it's always, not always the thing that's lived out most. And so, God, I just pray today as we sit and we consider you as we sing songs, as we hear from your word, as we spend time with one another. God, would you really lead us and guide us into understanding how we can worship you more and become more and more like you in doing so? And God, I thank you for those in the church who give and who invest in what you are doing through the church. And God, I just pray that they would be encouraged as they do so and would they see the fruit. And so God, even for for people who give today, would they also be able to hear a moment uh, through, through something that happens today that encourages them that their giving is going towards something that you're doing? God, as we look forward to Alpha tonight, God, I know that there's people who are coming with questions about who you are and what life is all about and, and many things in between. And God, I just pray uh, for all those people that they would come in uh, and be free to ask their questions and not feel judged, but to just feel welcome to explore uh, the faith that we believe in. And Lord God, I pray that as we present uh, who you are to others, that we would do so in a really compelling way so that people would come to know you. God, as we grow in, in depth with you, as we consider things like the, the theology night and, and your word as we're about to study it, God, I pray that uh, we would use our minds to to engage with the things you say so that it wouldn't just stay there though, that it would be pressed down into our hearts so that we would be moved by who you are and how you work, that we would be in awe of you. And God, would that turn us to praise you. And so Lord, in everything that we do today, I pray that you would be glorified. So Holy Spirit, move. Jesus, be big. Father, be glorified. We pray this in the Son's name. Amen. I want to ask you a question to start off before we jump into our scripture today. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 15. But as you go there, I want you to consider when is the last time you had a fight? When's the last time maybe you had a disagreement with someone? 
Be honest with yourself. Was it at the office this week with that person who just drives you crazy? Was it this morning on your way to church fighting with your kids or with your spouse or with your parents? Maybe it was a couple weeks ago when, you know, you were just tired coming from home from work and uh, your spouse or your kids just did that thing that you always ask them not to do. Maybe it was just a tough day that you had that led towards some interpersonal conflict with a good friend. Take some time. Think about that fight that you had or that disagreement that you had with someone else. How did you handle it? Were you gracious? Were you ruthless? Were you justified? Were they justified? Did you drag other people into it? Did you love that person through it? These are important questions for us to consider as we think about our life, because we all know that we're going to end up through life going through disagreements and fights. Now, I know it's hard to believe Christians would fight or disagree. Hence, catch my sarcasm here, right? I mean, we don't just fight people outside the church. We even fight other Christians too, don't we? I mean, we can look at the sheer numbers of denominations and divides that have happened through centuries within the church. Get in a community group for long enough and get on one of those topics and you'll see people will dig in and begin to debate. Sometimes this is a good thing. But oftentimes I don't think we handle it particularly well. Unfortunately, the fighting of people within the church and between Christians, uh, you know, one another and church to church has at many times caused unnecessary division. Now, I'm not saying there aren't appropriate times for disagreements and to debate important things, but far too often we get into fights, you know, where it really gets ugly and we're out for blood. And sadly, that's led to a lot of distrust of the church and of Christians in general. Last week, I talked about how I think a lot of times Christians are known by people outside of the church for what they're against instead of what they're for. I talk to neighbors and friends who don't follow Jesus, and they have a lot of questions about why all these denominations, why do you guys always seem to fight? And frankly, it actually sort of terrifies them. It makes them not really want to identify with what we have to say. And the sad part is my experience has been very rarely do people have issues with the person of Jesus. They're intrigued. They want to know what he has to say. They are interested in the way he lived, but the Christians get in the way. As we go through this sermon series called Wildfire, looking at sort of Acts chapter uh, 13 through to the end, we've been considering the rapid growth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and how it spread at that time in history. And we've been asking ourselves, what are some of the principles that we can mine out of what happened then so we could try to adopt them to become more like Jesus and to live out how he wants to expand his influence in the world. And then we try to put those things into practice. 
But one of these barriers that we've come up to is, of course, this idea of this infighting and this fighting and ugliness that can come through with the church. And so today I want to challenge that and challenge some of the principles by how we engage in some of these things. I want us to learn how to fight well. That's right, as a pastor, I'm going to actually teach us how to fight a little bit more today. But not for the purpose of being right, not for the purpose of being superior, not for the purpose of uh, winning our argument or people to our side. I want us to learn how to disagree in a healthy way so that God would be glorified. And to do that, we're going to look at this little piece of history from Acts chapter 15. If you got your Bible, join me there. If you don't, you'll be able to follow along on the screens behind us. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. A very short story that Luke, who's the author of Acts, chooses to include as we look at the missionary journeys of all the first apostles. Here we have the apostle Paul, who's just come back from what we looked at last week, and he's planning on what he's going to do next. And we pick up this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, this is a good friend of his, who's another person who's trying to share the good news of Jesus in the world. He says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Seems like a good idea because Barnabas says yes. And he wants to take with him John, who's also called Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. So there's this argument, but to sort of get all of what takes place, we have to uh, step back a little bit and see what's going on in the background. We have Paul coming up to his good friend Barnabas, who's one of the first people he started interacting with when he came to faith in Jesus, and this guy who's known as a great encourager, and he says, hey Barnabas, I want us to go together, and let's go visit all those churches that we just helped establish. Wouldn't it be great to spend some time with them, and, and you know, you're an encouraging guy, Let, let's go, and you can give some encouragement, I can give some teaching, and we'll, we'll really strengthen these churches. Barnabas says, hey, that's a great idea, Paul. I'm in. But while we go, let, let, let's think about who we're going to bring. And, and perhaps they sat and, and talked about the different people that could come with them. And along that list, Barnabas says, hey, we should bring John, you know, you know the Mark one. Paul goes, Mark, are you kidding me? Do you remember what Mark did to us? Do you remember how he left us high and dry when we were going through some difficult things? Why on earth would we bring Mark? Now, we don't know everything that goes on in the background, but it seems that, that Barnabas tries to, to, to urge him and to, to lean on him, being like, hey, we, we got to offer people a second chance. There's got to be something else that, that, that supersedes the fact that he failed one time. Come on, let, let's, let's bring him along. It'd be good for him too. Barney, you're an idiot, man. 
There's no way we're going to bring this guy. He's deserted us once. He doesn't deserve the investment to bring him with us again. This all took place in Acts chapter 13, which we looked at last week. And and there's not really this this explanation that Luke gave. And I don't know why he didn't give this explanation, but but he gave us this point that as this group was traveling, there came this time when he said, enough's enough, I'm going to return home. Now, scholars have all sorts of ideas about why he left. I mean, we have suspicion that Paul and some of those who were traveling became sick and maybe he was healthy and said, I don't want to get sick and, you know, hygiene habits weren't that great back then. Things weren't, modern medicine wasn't taking place and so he wanted to avoid and he said, it's not worth the risk, I want to go. Other people think perhaps he tired or perhaps he wanted to return home because he, he, didn't be, he wasn't passionate anymore. But well, the truth is we don't really know. But, but what we do know is that Paul has come to this place where it's not just a small disagreement, but it's a large one. He says, there's no way we're going to go with this guy. In verse 39, we see that it says that Paul and Barnabas get in a sharp disagreement. This isn't just a hey, I want sushi for dinner. No, actually, I want burgers. This is a heated debate. These two guys get in such an inflamed brawl that they decide to part ways. This mission that they were really excited about to go on together ends up getting divided because Paul and Barnabas just can't be with one another when they disagree about this guy, John, also called Mark. And so it's bad. And they go their separate ways. Now, when I read this, it it takes me to this place to wonder, well, which one of them was right? I kind of want to know. I want to know which one of these guys is is right. I mean, on, on one hand, you got Paul, and he's upholding the seriousness of what they're trying to do. And he's saying, hey, someone once deserted the cause of Christ, and so we don't want to be affiliated with that guy, too. Like, let, let, let's push him off to the side because we don't want to jeopardize what we're doing. Perhaps Paul thought about it a little bit like being in the military. And Mark was this guy who bailed in the middle of the battle. This guy's a deserter. Let's leave him behind because we got something more important to do. But then we have Barnabas, this guy who's known to be an encourager. And he's also a follower of Jesus. And he maybe picks up on this other principle this principle of Christ that we're supposed to love people and forgive them. Maybe, and I wonder, I, I, I think if I had been there, this is what I would have said. I said, Paul, do you remember who you are? You're a guy who used to go around and persecute the church. You used to kill these believers. And God gave you a second chance. I think we can give Mark one too. In my mind, even though we don't have all the details, I, I think that what happened is two men who were very passionate about the things God had called them to do, had ended up coming to this place where they had landed on different biblical principles. The importance and seriousness of advancing the gospel and staying true to what God wants, and this belief that we are people of a second chance and God is never done with us if we turn to him and try to pursue what he calls us to. But what I find interesting is Luke never weighs in. The author of Acts, he, he never gives us a verdict one way or the other. 
Now, yes, it does say that some commended Paul and Silas, but I don't necessarily mean think that means that they took a side. It could simply mean that they decided to do something different because we see they don't go back and go visit those churches, which they were originally planning to do. They go elsewhere to end up sharing the good news. And so maybe what happens is the church just simply says, hey, even though you're going to go do something different, we're going to commend you in what you're going to do. But even if it does mean that they sided with Paul, it doesn't mean they're right. Luke doesn't say, and so Paul and Silas went off to do what the Lord wanted them to do, and Barnabas and Mark, oh, they got it wrong. No, he leaves it up to the Lord. Luke doesn't give any moral insight into this, perhaps because in his mind this wasn't something that rises to a moral or ethical level. These guys weren't fighting over what is truly right and wrong in God's eyes. They're not debating about the exclusivity of Christ. They're not debating about patterns of sins that took place in Mark's life. They're not even debating an important doctrine. No, what happened was these two men looked at different principles that we understand from God's word and decided to disagree and go off in different directions. There's no clear winner here. I don't see one. I don't have a good argument one way or the other. And perhaps that's because that's not what God wants to do. Perhaps as God inspired Luke to write this, he wanted us to think beyond this, to consider the principles for what do we do when we find ourselves in Christian disagreement. Christians disagree all the time. We know this. It's why we have all sorts of different denominations and different practices even within the same church. There's a lot of different times where different people look at an important issue and they come from it from different sides. We face that even as I talked about our, our theological night and this leadership structure that we're, uh, our elders have proposed to you. We have people who say, hey, we're in favor of this. Some others who say, hey, you've gone too far. Others who say, hey, you haven't gone far enough. Now, all of these people, as we're wrestling through this, aren't necessarily fighting, but we're coming to different conclusions based on how we understand God's word. These disagreements take place. So how, then, do we disagree well? Well, I want us to look at just a few principles for how we can enter into Christian disagreement, and then what I would ask of you is to take time this week after we go through and consider maybe a different time in your life or a certain situation you face where you disagree with another brother or sister in Christ. And I want you to ask yourself, am I following and living out these principles so that God's glorified even in the midst of this divide? All right, so let's look at the first principle. The first principle that I see here is that we have to recognize that disagreements will happen. I think there are people who are a little too idyllic in the way that they view church. They say, hey, we're all followers of Jesus, and so we should never have a disagreement. I think there's some people who like to take what I would call the ostrich approach. They like to bury our heads in the sand and pretend that there's nothing happening. Well, that's not healthy or good. And it's not even realistic in what we see in Scripture. This story is just one of many where we see people of God who are trying to pursue him who end up in debate. Even Jesus' closest friends 
sometimes fought about things. And they debated. And they asked Jesus to take sides. And Jesus walked through it with them. Jesus never said, oh, this will never happen. Jesus never tried to pull some ruse that life would be perfect as we're Christians. No, he recognized that there would be disagreement. But what he wanted us to do was find a way to work together. And he recognized that we live in a sinful world. All of us are subject to the fall of mankind. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Scripture, which means that we've missed his mark. And because of that, things aren't the way that they ought to be. And so we disagree. Matthew Henry once wrote, we we shall never be all of one mind till we one day come to heaven where light and love are perfect. So until we get to heaven, you and I, we may disagree. But as we approach that disagreement, what I want to encourage us of is to consider the roots. One of the main causes of disagreements in the church can be this fact that I've already brought up, that good people understand scripture differently now we are incredibly fortunate to live in a time in human history where god has already given us the incredible gift of our scriptures where he teaches us and he gives us uh, instruction for knowing him and understanding his way and wishes and this book is perfect it's perfect in answering the questions that it was intended to But as we go through, we know that while this revelation is sufficient for our understanding, it's sufficient for our uh, salvation, it's sufficient in telling us to look to God for the source of our human flourishing, it sometimes doesn't explain everything. And because of this, people disagree. We take a principle from over here, like Paul did, and we say, hey, I think this is really important, and we apply it to something else over here. Someone else might be like Barnabas and say, hey, I got a principle over here that I think is the most important principle, and so I'm going to bring it to this discussion too. Both principles are true. They're both rooted in Scripture. They are both good. They're both biblical. They're both helpful in understanding what someone ought to do and how God's going to work. But there still might be disagreement as we bring those to a discussion which isn't completely clear. This is one of the reasons why good, godly people arrive at different conclusions. So as we consider this then, I want us to think this way towards others. I want us to think about others with good. There's a guy named Brian Hamilton, and he writes all about Christian disagreement, and he writes this. He says, in conflict, people ought to be assured that they are not the enemy. Although there may be a variance of opinions, people need to be affirmed on the basis that they have innate value and a passion for the Lord's work. Those on either side of a conflict scenario should be held to acknowledge the worth and positive desires of the other. Issues are more constructively tackled in an affirmation-laden environment. One of the first places I think we go wrong is that when we come to a disagreement, we end up making the other an enemy. We end up saying they're wrong. 
They're going against God's will. They're doing what God does not want people to do. They don't really love scripture. They don't really love God. And while we may never use those words, that's the approach we take when we address them. To treat someone else like that is far from biblical. That's losing the biblical principle. We see that actually Paul and Barnabas go on, and I'll talk about this in a moment, to love and mutually respect one another because they recognize that they disagree and there's room to. And so we should be careful as we approach these things to make sure we express love for one another because disagreements will arise even between two people or more who love Jesus, love God's word, and want to live it out together. The second principle I'd encourage you to do is uh, resist the urge to take a side. Sometimes fights start, and what we often want to do is end up in someone's corner. I remember going to some middle school fights, and what would quickly happen, I'm not saying this is a good thing, uh, but I ended up at some middle school fights when I was growing up, and I remember what people would do. They would get behind one side or the other. Even if they had nothing to do with the argument that took place to take pl- to, that brought us to a fist fight on the soccer field outside room 232. What happened is we went up and we said, oh, who looks like they might be the winner? Oh, who looks like they might be right? Well, I'm going to go stand on this person's side. And we stand and we cheer and we, we pick a side for no other reason than we think that's what we ought to do. Yes, there are times when we will have to choose side, particularly if someone chooses to reject one of the central teachings of the Christian faith. But otherwise, I would urge us not to get involved in doing that. One of the things that I find remarkable is that the early churches, they saw two of their most wonderful leaders going head to head, is that they did not decide to divide and draw lines, but they decide to support both groups in what they went on to do. We see that the church was generous in giving towards Paul and Barnabas in their mission's efforts to expand the good news. Be careful where you draw lines. Now, certainly draw lines on a few things. There are hills that we should be willing to die on. The divinity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is the only way for salvation, that we worship a sovereign and triune God, the fact that Scripture is inspired by God and it's inerrant, so it has no errors in what it has been given us to do, and we should stand firm on those things. But there's many other cases where we'll see people fight where we don't have to particularly side with one person or the other. Because in doing that, all what we will do is inflame the situation that's happening. We give more fuel to the fight, which divides. I don't think that's always the wisest thing to do. Sometimes I think the wisest thing to do is to leave things out for God to sort out. In our passage today, we see two strong Christians with disagreement who go off to establish these two ministries. All the while they say, let's not divide the church. I think there's wisdom there. Practically speaking, for for me, this looks like not dividing in our community. I am uh, quite ashamed of the way that I have approached handling people from other other Christian faith positions throughout my life. 
Growing up, I was a very black and white kind of person, especially in my young adult years. And I remember being in Bible college and arguing with people and getting in big fights. I remember through many years wrestling with who was right and who was wrong and feeling like I needed to pick a side. This church is doing it right. They know what's going on because that church has this wrong. And so I'm going to pick a side and I'm going to reject that one. I'm going to tell people, you know, that's not the church you should go to. You should go to the church over here. And sadly, as I look back on my life and I've had to confess for this, I realize that I caused more harm than good. Instead, what I have grown to understand is that there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful people who see some different things as they approach scripture, who understand and have adapt to different philosophies to reach our world, and they're going to do different things. But as I affirm them for what they're good at, as I look to them and uh, observe what they're doing and encourage them in what is good, I have found that I have done far more good than harm. You know, I love our fellowship. I love particularly our, our fellowship Pacific region of churches. I signed up to be on our board for a region. I'm going away this week uh, to, to hang out with a bunch of staff and leaders as we talk about what the future is for us as a region within the fellowship of churches. And I am so excited for what we're going to do because I believe in the things that we hold to. But I got to tell you, this summer I had the opportunity to go away with 50 pastoral couples from across the country, from every different group of, of Christian believers that you could imagine. I shared dinner with an Orthodox priest from Chilliwack. I hung out with some Pentecostals from the island. I hung out with every Mennonite brethren, brethren Mennonite, all those kind of people in between as we gathered together. And I found it so good. I was so encouraged and excited as I heard what God was doing across our country by people who I once would have picked aside against. I was encouraged to hear how one group had led a whole bunch of people to be followers of Jesus in a way that I never would have thought would have done anything. I got to hear stories from another who, who, who talked about this, the way that they do communion and then how it's so far off what we do, but how it had drawn people into the mystery of the cross and what only God could do. And I was excited because people were more excited in that church about who Jesus is than they had ever been in any other church they had taken part in. For me, practically, this means that I am working to be more for those other churches that are following after God and trying their best, even if we have some disagreement. It's why I have no problems and no qualms when someone comes and tells me that they're looking for a church that I know ours won't fit. I have no problem saying, hey, you love hymns? Clearbrook MB is the best church for you. They're an amazing church who does amazing hymn sings, and they have the best seniors pastors that are in this city. It's why when people say, hey, I want more programs and more excitement, I can say, hey, go over to Northview. It's a great church with great programs. They'll have everything that you could want to do. 
It's why when people find that they need to be uh, dressed up and more formal as a way of worship, that I can say, hey, we've got great churches like Gateway and Trinity Reform, which will include that as part of how they worship. Go there. Enjoy. There's good Anglicans. There's good evangelical uh, Lutherans. There's people in churches that practice charismatic gifts more than we do. Now, yes, we might discuss and debate, and a number of our, our pastors from these churches get together every few months to, to do just that, to, to encourage each other and challenge each other and wrestle through things. And as we get together, we have disagreement. But we don't have to take sides because we recognize that in that room, we're all actually on the same side, the side of the good news of who Jesus is. Instead of the church at large being known for its division and us as individual believers being known for which side we choose, what if we were known for how we supported and encouraged one another instead? I think that would really help advance the good news. Now I recognize that for some of us that brings a whole lot of tension and it brings a whole lot of anxiety within us. And I'm one of those people who has that because of the way I've grown up and the way that I'm hardwired. And I have to, you know, I have to fight against that temptation to be on the right side. And I have to fight against that temptation to fight all the time. But what I have come to realize in the scripture helps me to understand is the next principle is that we can trust in God's ability to do good. One of the things that I think gets thrown out the window as we have to choose sides, as we worry about disagreements, is, is that we worry in the midst of that. We abandon in the midst of that our trust in the sovereignty of God. We say, I don't know if God can really do it with those people over there. I don't know if God's really going to move with that person in that set of beliefs. And so we end up saying this, that side of the disagreement is going to trump what God's going to do. One of the good things that this passage reminds me of is the truth that we see Paul writes later to the church in Rome. He says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. You know, I don't know exactly what happened as Paul and Barnabas argued, but I bet there was some fallout, and I bet... There was some, some people who sat there and said, this never should have taken place. This discussion shouldn't have happened because this led to some division. There's other people who probably sat there and went, oh, we should have picked Paul's side or we should have picked Barnabas' side to secure things, to shore them up so that good would have been done. But if we look at what actually happens is that God uses these two movements. Barnabas and Mark go off and encourage the church and help the church strengthen and establish where Paul and his friends have already been. But what Paul and uh, Silas end up going to do is starting new churches. They, 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 they leave what they were going to do and head out into Macedonia and Greece, and we see that the church continues to move. More and more expressions of the church, more and more collections of Jesus' followers begin to grow, and from there we see that the whole world is affected because God moved in and through this disagreement. These disagreements also have the power to change people. 
You know, what's really interesting is that we see that Paul's heart changes later. Paul has a real issue with Mark. You see that? So much so, I don't even want to be on a trip with this guy. I really dislike him. But later on, what we end up seeing in the book of 2 Timothy is that Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, send me Mark. I need that guy. He's really an encourager and a help to me. Could he send him? We'll see it later on that there will be this issue where there's a slave named uh, Onesimus who ends up abandoning what he owes to somebody else. And Paul says, hey, we need to give this guy a second chance, even though he went against what he was supposed to do. Now, I'm not saying we should celebrate fighting. I'm not saying that we should be encouraged to divide. But what I am saying is that in the midst of it, we have to look for what God might do. Because things aren't over just when we divide. God continues to move. And on that, I would encourage you, as you think about what happened with Paul and what happens next, is to not burn bridges. I used to be a bridge burner in many different ways as I talked about some of that, that fight that I used to do, particularly when it came to matters of faith. And I have learned that down the road, that never pays. Again, while we don't read it in this text, later in 2 Timothy, he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you because he is helpful to me. You know, despite this strong divide, I think what's really important to recognize is that sometimes God will bring things together down the road. You may never know where things are going to go. Again, the, the, the story of where I had the opportunity to go on a retreat with pastoral couples from across the country, uh, it was this really interesting thing. We had no idea who else was going to go. We were invited by an outside organization that, that, that's there to invest in, in pastors across Canada, and they said, hey, we'd like you to come, but we're not going to tell you anyone else who's going to show up until the day before you go. The day before we go, we get emailed this list of photos and bios of each pastoral couple. And wouldn't you know, there was someone from every part of my life that was coming there a kid I went to middle school with who had seen me at some of my worst and some of my most divided was now a pastor and was brought to this moment. A gentleman from seminary who was in classroom when I debated and wrestled through a lot of important issues. He and his wife were there. The pastor of my last church, the new pastor of my last church was there. The pastor from a church I rejected working at was also in the room. And you know what? As I looked around, I was so surprised at what God was choosing to do. And it was a reminder for me as we were there gathered to talk about what God was doing through the church to build some bridges between these divides, I was reminded that this is why we need to be careful not to burn bridges. Because one day God might call you to do something, to be invested with someone who you have disagreed with. That's a big deal. And I'm actually really thankful. Because in every one of those situations... 
There was places where hope and healing and mending had already taken place, and so I didn't have to worry about the tension that took place. Sure, we won't all have the same situations that I experienced there. Sure, we won't all experience what Paul would have to do by calling on Mark, but I'd encourage us to revise our consideration of our judgments of others. Again, some of our convictions are non-negotiable, but that doesn't mean we have to treat others unkindly. Some of the things that we will divide on are very important central issues, and that's okay so long as we do it without rejecting the person who is trying their best to follow after Christ. And that leads me to the fifth and final principle, which is that we need to let love overcome our fights and disagreements. Whenever I think about uh, a moment of opposition, whenever I think about times of disagreement, I remind myself of Jesus. Jesus chose to love his enemies. We read in scripture that Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. Jesus didn't err in his judgment of our sin. He's not wrong in being divided from us because he is holy and pure and we are not. He wasn't wrong in the fact that judgment needed to come into the world because of our sin. He wasn't wrong in the fact that people would have to experience his justice if they choose to reject him forever. But in the midst of that, he chose to come and die as our substitute on the cross and be resurrected so we could experience life in him. He said, there's no way that you as my enemy will ever be able to cross a bridge back to, to be back with me because you have burned that bridge with your sin. But I have the power to mend the bridge, to bring you back to me, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so God came from heaven down to earth to die on a cross, to rise again, to show us a better way so that we can be reconciled despite fight and disagreement for which we are fully wrong. I think far too often, again, that we, myself included, are more concerned with being seen as right. We are more concerned with, uh, we're more concerned with that than showing the love of Christ. It's no wonder that people are turned off by Christians. It's no wonder there's so much hurt and baggage about church in this room. Because we have done exactly the opposite of what Jesus told us would be true. Jesus said, by this will everyone know you are my disciples, if you love one another. And so church, whether it's a disagreement that happens in this room, whether it's a disagreement that happens between church groups, I would encourage you to always approach it with love and generosity, looking first for the goodness in those who are trying their best to follow Jesus. Then as you do that, make sure you step back to ask yourself, am I trusting God to do what only he can do? And then as you approach that, don't burn bridges, but build bridges with love so that others may one day know who our God is. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. God, I am so incredibly relieved that you are a God of forgiveness. God, I confess, and you know that I have wrestled many times with wanting to be right in a fight, that I have a desire to divide on on what is good and what is wrong. And God, I thank you that you have shown me that this is not the way, that there is a better way. There's a a way that's more in line with who you are. And God, I, I pray that that realization would not just be mine, but it would be here for everyone in the room. God, I pray that if there's somebody who's who's feeling like a fight needs to take place. God, I pray that if that fight does need to take place, that they still engage with it through the principles that we see in your word. God, we know that there are some things that we have to divide from from the world on, and we we know that there are things that that will come, and, and it'll just be sin rearing its ugly head. But God, I pray that as we engage with those things, that we would remember the superseding principle that we will be known we are your followers by our love. And so God, make us a loving people even as we head into disagreement. Make us a a people who would see people through the eyes of you and we would see their value and we would see and know when people are trying to follow you and God, will we give grace and will we give compassion? Will we be people who would be known as being uh, bridge builders, not people who tear down every bridge? God, would you help us to walk through this so that others might know your love and your grace? So God, would you be glorified in every way, in every part of our lives, especially, though, I pray in our disagreement. Would this be the way that the world would know who you are? pray this in Jesus' name.